I'm Rob. I think I know most of you, but a, f- a few of you I have not met yet. I'm Rob. And um, John, as you can see, is not here tonight. Uh, we actually teach this retreat in shifts. It's sort of like a, a tag tag team. So I do a little bit and then hand the baton to him. And, and, and uh, that, uh, well, it, it just works uh, best with the schedules that we, that we have. Um, he was in South Africa, and I don't know if he got delayed or something, but I actually haven't managed to speak to him, and I got a message saying he would be here on Sunday night. So that's Sunday or Monday is when we'll hand over, and, and we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, so, uh, we are a group, as you know, we, we asked that everyone came for, signed up for the whole period. Um, we're also joined by Tony and by Juliet, who are both coordinators here. Tony is a house, one of the household coordinators. Juliet's one of the reception coordinators. And uh, they have special dispensation to, uh, because of their work, to um, do what they can, the retreats. I think Juliet's doing the first six days. Is that, yeah. And Tony is doing sort of three days and then coming to as much as he can and then two weeks, if I remember. And, other, and then uh, we have Mark and Ollie, who are on work retreat, and they're sort of deciding whether they want to join us. <laughs> so um, by, by tomorrow evening we should be pretty clear uh, what the group is. I've also said, um, this might not have been wise, uh, for the hermits that they're welcome to come to teachings. However, if we feel that it's really too cosy in here, I might uh, change that notice and say, I'm sorry, we have to, we have to really close the teach." So um, we can... Uh, you know, you can give me feedback about that if it feels like it gets really too full at teaching time. Okay? Um, for, for me, this is a... <laughs> okay. This keeps stopping, so um, stop me if it's midnight and I'm still going. Um, for me, this is really, really... Uh, uh, it's really, I feel, very, uh, very much a privilege for me to be able to offer these teachings. I know John feels the same. Uh, it's very beautiful. Uh, it's, for me, it's a very beautiful experience. It's, um, it's beautiful to see so many people here. And the, kind of the... the um, that this inspires and calls you and attracts you to me is, is very touching. And... Uh, You know, these teachings of emptiness, I think it's fair to say they're really at the heart of uh, what the Buddha was teaching. They're really at the heart of the Buddha's path. They're at the heart of his awakening. Very much at the heart of his, at the pith, the core of what he awakened to, it was, it was emptiness. And, and then his teaching, it was actually all, in, in a way, it's not obvious at first, but it was all actually centered around emptiness. And he, he actually said, we can say emptiness and dependent origination, we'll be talking about these two, they're two sides of the same coin. But he actually said, first there is the understanding, first there is the uh, realization of emptiness or dependent origination, and then there is Nibbana. They follow uh, one uh, from another very naturally. He was very clear about that. And without that, there isn't awakening, there isn't Nibbana. And so he said, what did he wake up to? He woke up to emptiness. He woke up to dependent origination. <clears throat> Sometimes, uh, and understandably, people can feel, or we can have a sense that these teachings of emptiness, 
or the meditation on empty, they're sort of the pinnacle of the teachings. They're like the cream or something, or it's a bit elitist. It's like, well, or specialist. Well, I might get into that or I might not. Um, and it, it, to, a, to a certain extent, that's true. But in, in another way, these teachings of emptiness actually permeate the whole of the Dharma. But it's not in a very obvious way. They permeate every, every teaching and every aspect that the, the Buddha ever talked about. So when we talk about generosity, when we talk about ethics, they actually have a lot to do with emptiness. It's not obvious at first, but the more one goes into this, the more one actually sees it's all kind of different strands of uh, different facets of one teaching. Why is that? When I practice generosity, when I care about my ethics, something is getting unbound. The, the, what we could say, the tendency of the mind and the heart to grip something, to bind something, me, uh, worrying about me, concerned about me and putting that first, starts to get unbound. And that starts to have an effect. You go very deep into emptiness through generosity, also through caring about ethics. You start to see something that we build, we shape the world that we live in. And that's, uh, we're going to talk a lot about this, and just say a tiny bit tonight. That actually ends up being... Th- part of the real core of what the emptiness message is. The world that we experience, the world that we perceive, that we feel to be uh, what we naturally exist in, that's actually shaped by the heart and the qualities in the heart. And that's why uh, generosity and ethics and all the rest of those teachings actually have a lot to do with emptiness. That's actually all I'm going to talk about emptiness per se tonight. What I really want to talk about tonight is... um, kind of how to relate to this retreat and how to relate to these teachings just a little bit. It's something we'll revisit. So I'm kind of wondering how you're feeling, how you're feeling tonight. Actually, maybe you're just tired and some of you have had, (laughs) uh, you know, quite, I know some have had a very long way to get here, uh, come from uh, uh, California, etc. But, um, so you might be feeling tired. I hope if you're tired you can find some energy because I feel like I've quite, a lot I want to communicate, so I hope some energy can be roused. Um, but other than just tired, if you are tired, sometimes people are really excited. There's something about these teachings, and they actually feel people have said to me, I feel excited. You know, I'm really looking for that. I, I love it when people feel excited about practice. I really I enjoy that, and I think it's important that we do feel excited about, about the practice at times. But equally... Uh, it might be, and, and I would expect it, uh, some ambivalence. Some people feel maybe daunted, maybe by the length of the retreat, maybe by the theme. And so this is a little bit what I want to go into. Um, so tonight I want to talk about uh, certainly some information and general stuff, but also about this relationship with the whole retreat. So what I'm saying tonight... Um, sometimes opening talks, you know, people are tired, and we just sort of say hi and, you know kind of set a certain tone and then see you tomorrow, good night. Um, so I'm hoping that what I say tonight you will remember, because it might not feel that important right now. Some people are doing this retreat for the second time. They did it last year. And they will recognize a lot of what I'm talking about. And, and uh, actually it's quite important. So I hope that you can remember this. Uh, over the retreat, which is four weeks, which is quite a long time to try and remember it. 
I'm actually not expecting you to remember it, but <laughs> saying it's it's quite important. So, being on retreat is a challenge, uh, and I'm sure many of you know that. It's challenging in different ways. This retreat has its own particular challenges as well as the usual challenges. It's actually quite challenging to teach. It's a, it's a very challenging retreat to teach. Part of what's challenging is that there's an enormous amount that's com- that we're communicating. It's going to feel like really a lot of material and a lot of possible approaches offered. So there's a reason for that, and I'm sure there are other ways to go about this, but this is what we've chosen. It's because everyone in here is different, and everyone in here has different practice backgrounds, and different histories, and different personalities, and different inclinations, etc. So people will be appro- everyone in here will probably be approaching this whole area quite differently. And the idea is to kind of offer loads, and some people find different bits to nibble on, and to follow different strands. I think in the beginning of last year I said it's a bit like a giant pizza, and it's in the room, and people will be starting to nibble from different directions. <laughs> That's not a very good analogy. <laughs> um, ultimately, everyone eats a whole pizza. Everyone eats a whole pizza, ultimately, in the end. Um, so, it's impossible to communicate everything at once. In other words, we'll, we'll be moving through, obviously, the teachings have to get communicated in time, so this, and then that, and then this, and then that. It may be that the order that the teachings get presented in is exactly the order that follows and exactly at the right time that you feel it progresses exactly with your internal process. You know, hallelujah if it is, but uh, it's probably not going to be that. It's probably going to feel like you're storing some stuff and just leaving some stuff and following other threads, etc. And that's all really, really fine. It's completely fine. Um... Eventually, it will all it will all fit together for you. Um, and as I said, it's impossible to say it all at once. Sometimes one wishes that one can kind of say everything at once and actually repeat this opening talk every day. Um, but so obviously, it's impossible. So, did everyone get the message about the notebooks? I see lots of notebooks. Did everyone get that? Yeah. So this this really isn't a study retreat. So if study isn't your thing, don't don't be nervous. But it's it's really okay. Yes, you were here already, Michelle. So there's some notebooks out there, and you can grab one and just offer some dana for it to the coordinators. But it's really not a study retreat. But there's something, as I said, there's enormous amount of teachings offered, enormous amount of approaches, things to reflect on, um, subtleties, etc. And really, that's what we want to do, John and I, is communicate something, give you something of the fullness of 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 these teachings, the um, the subtlety, the depth. Give you, give, give you all of that and the precision. There's, there's a lot of uh, real precision here as well, um, rather than uh, uh, kind of having a practice that might be a little vague. So it's sometimes sad when people are left with a bit of a vague sense of what to do or how to go about practice. Um, what we want is to really give you the know-how how to practice in this area and, and really practice well. I really know how to practice well, and that's that's my hope. So sometimes I think it would be better if this retreat was four months long, or actually four years long. Uh, there's there's a ton here, and and it's okay. It's really okay. No one uh, is going to get to all of what's being offered in in four weeks. Is well, 
I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would be very, very unlikely that any, anyone would get to all of it. Rather, what I'm hoping, sort of alluded to before, is that in everything that's offered, and in the practices and approaches that's offered, each person finds one or two or maybe three approaches that work for, for, for you individually. And then you follow that. You follow, uh, like strands, avenues of practice, and you develop that. And they're going to be different for different people. So maybe one, maybe a couple. Um, but the key thing is finding what works and then developing that and taking it deeper and seeing where it goes, rather than trying to do everything. Um, but we do want to give, as I said, some sense of the width and, and the, uh, uh, the width of the possible approaches and where we're heading with all this, where all these teachings on emptiness are going, some sense of that. So what, again, what I really hope for, what I really wish to communicate and to offer and to give is uh, that you, on this retreat, learn new ways, new approaches, something uh, that you haven't been able to do before, that you learn how to do that, that you uh, acquire a new skill, a new art, uh, a new tool in meditation. Uh, that works for you. And by work, working for you, I mean you really sense that uh, you can feel the freedom coming out of it. You, you feel, I know that when I do this, and I have some sense of how to do it, and I know that when I do it, I can actually feel the freedom. That's, that's what, uh, that's what I would, we would wish for. So it's finding what works. And, uh, um, experimenting for yourself. So I see many, many times over, over the years of teaching, there's people grappling, feeling like nothing's working, nothing's working, eventually finding something and, and being surprised with what comes with that. So I sometimes see meditation as a kind of art. It's, it's an art and a craft, and we develop skills, we develop uh, that art, and we really can do that. Partly what I want to communicate tonight is that really that is possible. You can do that. We can do that. So sometimes I say it will feel a little bit daunting or I don't understand or overwhelmed, but we really can do this. I, I know it. Everyone can, do, can uh, pick up something, find something that works here. One of the sad things for me teaching sometimes is that, I don't know proportions, but sometimes it seems to me that the majority of meditators actually grossly underestimate what they are personally capable of, what's actually possible for them. And because of that, they don't actually venture out and experiment with things. It, they, don't even, uh, they don't even try to play and experiment with things. They just feel like, I couldn't possibly do that. And I have a real sense that actually it's a matter of finding, uh, finding one's way of working, as I said. And much, much more is possible for us as meditators than, uh, than we tend to think. Much, much more. <clears throat> On this retreat, so it's uh, only open to experienced meditators, um, we're kind of presupposing a little bit that you are familiar <coughs> with basic sort of mindfulness practice and what it means to be mindful, what it means to pay attention to your experience and the different aspects and dimensions of your experience. Kind of presupposing that, and presupposing that you feel able to kind of be with your experience in, in that sort of direct, mindful way, and open to it, and, and work with it like that. 
So that's a kind of presupposition. However, um, being realistic, it's true to say that maybe most people uh, need more practice with that. You know, just that practice sounds uh, sounds simple, but as many of you know, it actually takes quite a while to to really absorb that into one's meditative life and really feel like I really feel comfortable knowing how to do that. I really feel comfortable with that sort of basic mindfulness and openness and ability to be with. Uh, for most people it takes years. It takes years to develop the capacity to do that and to feel really comfortable doing that. So, um, though we are kind of presupposing it, it's something that we can still talk about. It's very much something that we can talk about and sometimes we will talk just in those terms and you can bring that level of things to interviews, and please do. But um, I guess what I'm asking is, don't just do that. Please, please, please don't just do that. If you're familiar with just being mindful of your experience, don't just do that. And don't assume, as I was saying, that that, the emptiness meditations are uh, all difficult. They're not all difficult. Some of them may be very subtle, but... uh, so you might have a kind of normal practice of just opening to things and being with things, but it's fine sometimes. But see if you can see if uh, can really add to that and build on that and go beyond that. So to do that, to learn new practices, to open into realms of practice that we're not familiar with, take, for me it takes playing with. It's kind of a willingness to play with our practice. Like like a, a child playing with toys, actually have fun with it and experiment and allow ourselves to be flexible that way, and then finding what works and and consolidating that, actually really absorbing that and making it more solid. I feel you can you know, you get lots of different opinions on this, but I I really feel that it's highly highly unlikely that someone just being with their experience would kind of stumble on the full depth and range and potency of the teachings on emptiness. It's an opinion, but I I, uh, I guess I, I, I hold that opinion. That it's unlikely that just being with the experience would open up that whole depth. It seems to me that we actually need to be a bit more directive in the practice, a bit more experimental, a bit more playing, a bit... Uh, listen to teachings, etc., um, and uh, develop, as I said, specific approaches. So, finding what works, playing, really playing with it, and then repeating, repeating that, following that avenue, taking it deeper, borrowing with that, and seeing where it goes. Um, so, as I said before, every every retreat, you know, uh, for, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, brings up you know, all the usual retreat difficulties. I mean, just stuff, whether it's about sleep or about your work period job or about um, where we sit or the temperature of the room or something about your shoes or whatever it is. It's just normal stuff of retreat life. So I'm hoping, and again, I'm really hoping that you can remember all this for the whole four weeks, but I'm really hoping that what we're talking about in the uh, in terms of formal practice, actually gets transferred to all that other stuff. In terms of as we move around, can I bring the same contemplations of emptiness, the same ways of looking, the same kind of uh, ways of seeing things to all that difficulty too? 
I think I mentioned before, but some some people, and some people in this room, I'm sure, uh, the idea of coming on a four-week retreat on emptiness, or even just the word emptiness, it brings a welling up of joy and excitement and a kind of yippee inside. Um, and that's that. some people, that's what's there for them. Uh, most people, they're probably in the minority, if that's the case, probably in the minority, most people have some ambivalence in relationship to teachings on emptiness, some degree of ambivalence. And you may even be aware of some inside you right now, or if you're not, it probably will come up at some point in the retreat. Uh, and it can think, uh, certainly from last year and just uh, other over the years, teach, teaching this stuff, it usually, it's challenging, and it usually uh, rocks the boat either a little bit or quite a lot. Um, even last year, people get quite angry. Some people get quite angry. Angry at me, angry at John, angry at Guy House, angry at the teachings, angry at the Buddha. Um, <laughs> um, it's not that uncommon. Um, another very common reaction is fear. Fear around the teachings of emptiness and fear around the experience of emptiness and fear around the whole um, thing. And again, some people don't approach the teacher, approach a certain amount and then go away. Uh, because of that fear, and there's different even flavors of the fear, etc. Um, very, very common. Almost, uh, almost, not 100%, but for most people it will bring up some degree of fear in some way or another at some point. I don't know if this will help, but there's nothing to fear. There's, there's really nothing to fear. We, we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, in the, in the interactions and in the talks and the questions and answers and things. But there's really nothing to fear. It's, it's, it's actually moving in the opposite direction of fear and everything that goes with fear. But for most people, these teachings on emptiness are and, and moving in the practice of emptiness and getting deeper is actually quite a gradual process and not necessarily linear. And even the, the what could we say, the meditative experiences of emptiness, to whatever degree, a little bit, a lot, whatever, uh, are kind of an acquired taste for most people. We're not quite sure, and, and we're just getting used to something that's a bit unfamiliar. All of that's very, very normal. I, I could be wrong, but uh, certainly if last year or other other occasions and situations where I've taught this, this kind of thing, which is quite a lot, um, it could be that at times you feel very frustrated uh, with the teachings, with, um, I don't know, everything. Um, uh, they're difficult to understand. So in, in their, I'll start probably tomorrow. There's something about emptiness that's not difficult to understand at all, actually. It's so obvious at one level, or levels of emptiness are so obvious, they're so kind of commonsensical. And we're going to start there. And there's levels that are so counterintuitive and so sort of mind-blowing and mind-boggling and, and we've got all of that. They're difficult to understand teachings. To me, it, ta it takes time. It takes patience. And there can be, at times, some frustration. There can be, at times, some agitation with all of this. So we hear something, and we rest, and we don't understand, or we don't like how it sounds. And, and, and the, the heart gets agitated. And I, I for one, have, uh, and I still do, wrestle 
with different uh, in the past and uh, wrestling with these teachings and, and feeling agitated by them. And that's all in a way quite normal and not necessarily a bad thing. It's part of the it's part of the deepening process. It's part of the opening process. This is going to sound funny, but I I kind of feel like I would like to ask uh, you to really keep an open mind and to try and keep that through four weeks. And that sounds like a very funny thing to ask on retreat, because obviously we mostly show up on retreat with a very open mind. But again, experience from last year, etc., shows that in different ways um, we can struggle with a lot of, being, of what's being offered and a lot of the teachings and a lot of the concepts and even the practice. So really asking to just keep checking the openness of the mind, the openness of the heart. Some of the teachings and approaches, some, I'm not sure what percentage, but some, uh, will be very non-conceptual, very sort of direct and simple, and some will be actually very conceptual. They will involve a lot of the thinking mind, the rational mind, uh, going into things and using the intellectual capacity to sort of um, address these whole questions. They're part of what's being offered. Different people will pick up different things. Different people will be helped by different approaches. So, again, that's something that may be challenging at different times. But I hope, you know, that's okay and it feels important. So, open-mindedness. And I also feel humility... And again, that sounds like a, a funny thing to be bringing up at the beginning of a retreat or asking you for. Um, I, I certainly, you know, after I feel for many years uh, this has been a real uh, cent- central avenue of my practice, this te- teachings on emptiness and the whole area of emptiness. And I, I feel very, very humble still ar- around all the teachings. You know, there's stuff that I still feel I don't, I don't really understand it. I'm not sure, um, but it's a sense of uh, just keeping keeping that sense. I said the the a lot of the teachings are counterintuitive. Teachings of emptiness actually counter our general sense and intuition of reality. It's actually in the opposite direction of that. And so, to me, it, it takes humility. Some, as I said, very difficult to understand. And there's levels and depths. And so even if you feel like, oh, I understand that, understand that, it keeps going, great, great, great. Haven't reached the end yet. Haven't reached the end. I don't know. It keeps going. It seems to just keep going for myself. It seems to just keep going. And to me, there's something beautiful about the necessity of humility there. There's a teacher, Arya Deva. A very, we'll talk about him. He's a very um, important teacher, Four, five hundred years after the Buddha, and uh, he says, in it's talking about this open-mindedness. And those with little merit do not even entertain questions regarding this Dharma, this, these teachings of emptiness. They don't even entertain questions about it. It's a closed door. Even entertaining a question about it tears samsara to shreds. And then he says, when one sees reality. In other words, emptiness. One achieves the supreme abode. But this is the important bit. Even by seeing the slightest bit, one is better off. It's a very gradual teaching here. There's there's a a spectrum. (coughs) Therefore, the wise should always cultivate such wisdom in contemplating phenomena. Um, 
a lot of this, or some of this, some of what's being offered, will be like planting seeds. In other words, you will feel the fruit of a lot of it in these four weeks, and I, I really hope that. And some, it, it may be that it has uh, the, the seed sprout, you know, a couple of weeks later, it may be years later. Maybe something you've completely forgotten about, but it will it will manifest later. Okay. It's possible that on this retreat, you know, most of what we're talking about, not all, but mostly what we're talking about is emptiness. And it's possible that at times, for some people, it, it, may, it may, there's the danger of it feeling a little dry. Okay? Um, it shouldn't be. Okay? It really shouldn't be. And what I'm kind of asking you is for you a little bit to take care of the juiciness of the retreat. To take care of your heart here. So, do you understand what I mean by that? Like, keep keeping it moist, keeping your heart connected and open. I'll, I'll explain a little bit. Um, in terms of teachings, we're mostly talking about emptiness, so it's a lot, some of it's conceptual at times. Um, there may not be, feel like much entertainment. Sometimes on retreat, it feels like. Well, the Dharma talk in the evening is the entertainment bit, and you get to hear some stories. And da, da, da. Uh, I don't know about John, but from my point of view, there's not a lot of stories about emptiness. <laughs> <laughs> emptiness is actually, in a way, the, the opposite of stories. It's letting go of stories. And sometimes people like the stories. We like the stories because it's kind of entertaining. However, I still hope that it's entertaining in different ways. So about the heart, I I feel very very clear that. Going into emptiness brings love. It brings love. There's absolute clarity about that. The, more, the deeper I go into emptiness, the more love it opens up. And actually, the more I go into love, uh, metta, compassion, etc., the more emptiness it opens up. They feed each other. Now, for some people, that's obvious. But actually, for a lot of people, kind of suspicious that they're actually moving in different directions. In other words, emptiness does not bring love. It might even have nothing to do with love or even make me disconnected, etc. Uh, we'll talk about this more, but for a lot of people, emptiness uh, may have suggestions of nihilism, and with that, it's a sense of coldness, meaninglessness, lovelessness. So, um, some people will struggle to see the connection and see the opening of love from emptiness. Others, it will be obvious, some will struggle, and to understand that. So, what I would ask is that everyone, at least once a day, does a metta practice. Okay? Uh, meaning loving kindness practice. And if you're not clear about that, we can talk about that in interviews, certainly. Um, but some, somehow to keep the heart juicy. You may not feel like you need this, and I hope you don't, but still I, th I feel like it's a really uh, a good thing. Mm. Sometimes, as I say, with, with the teachings being a little challenging uh, and sometimes might feel a little heady, it's really important to take care of the heart and soften the atmosphere, soften the inner climate a little bit. So metta is one of the ways of doing that. Another important factor is appreciation and gratitude. This is important for anyone on retreat, but are we nourishing, are we nourishing the qualities of, in the heart of appreciation and gratitude? 
to me there's there's an enormous amount to appreciate here here at Guy House here on this retreat being here and there's an enormous amount to feel grateful for and it may be that there's gratitude for all the work that went into this retreat all the coordinators work enormous amount of work goes in this retreat uh, in all retreats actually setting it up but again can you remember this over four weeks I'll probably have to say it again but to nourish appreciation and to nourish gratitude the depth of our practice rests on our ability to nourish appreciation and gratitude again it's not always obvious it's not always obvious that my calm, my concentration, my insight actually rest on me taking care of the heart in that way for me these teachings and this retreat it's for the sake of compassion it's coming from compassion and it's for compassion So it's, it's dealing with human suffering human dis-ease and trying to find ways to uh, go deeper in freeing us in relationship to that there's no other reason for the retreat and for these teachings apart from that. There's no other reason. Compassion is the only reason. So, emptiness <coughs> brings freedom as well. The more we go into emptiness, the more, the more freedom. That's, that's its purpose. It's bringing freedom to consciousness, to the heart as well as love, like I said. But freedom to me means quite a lot. It's a big word. Freedom from my personal suffering, but also freedom to love. <laughs> as I become, as we become freer, it should bring with it the freedom to love. It should be that the natural expression of our freedom is love, is care, is concern. That that's the, the natural expression of letting go to some degree of me first and mine first, and prioritizing me and my first. <coughs> That's where these teachings of emptiness are going. It's less about me and my, and that opens something up. And what it allows is 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 love. So that's an expression of freedom. So I see in a strange way, for myself, like two reasons for this retreat: <coughs> that you are free personally, and that and that somehow from this manifests something in the world. And I hope that's not too much for me to say, but like, in a way, when I teach, that's what I'm hoping for. I care about your freedom, and I care that something happens in you, because the freedom goes so deep that it opens something. And the relationship with life is different, and it's not me first. And that's where this is heading. This is part of the seeds of this retreat, and that I, I, I hope that's okay to say, but I see it that way. I see it's like something's hopefully happening here that's not just about me, that its tentacles reach out into the world. To, to me, that feels very, very important. So, I decided something, and this is partly based on last year. Um, I feel that... I would like us to remember that all the time in here, what I just said. I feel that that's important. I feel that it's important for all of us, whether I'm talking, whether John's talking, whether you're just meditating quietly, whatever is going on when you're in here and on this retreat, that we really have a sense of it as being, for, certainly for the sake of our freedom, of course, but that we're doing this in the service of everything that might flow out in love. It's for the sake of all sentient beings. 
sometimes when it gets heady, etc., to remember that, to have that sense of the heart connecting with what we're doing here. It's opening beyond myself. So, I decided, and I, again, I hope this is okay, and I'm kind of improvising it. I've got this candle, and it will stay up here. I'm making this up as I go along. It will stay up here, and it's going to be burning most of the time. And it can take turns in lighting it. So let's say if we light it, someone lights it at, six, at 6.45, in the first sitting in the morning, and someone lights it at 9.30. Now if I'm coming in, or John's coming in at 9.30 for teachings, we'll, we'll light it, it's fine. Um, and again at 7.30. So that might be a bit weird in that you might be blowing it out to light it again, but um, two things. One is that it's there, okay? It's there as a reminder in terms of it's burning. But also, when a person lights it, take a few moments and ga gather the sense of heartfulness. Does this make sense? To, to, to really see, put what's being, what you're doing here in context, in, in the context of what widening the heart beyond me and my. And and so, if it feels dry sometimes, if it feels heavy sometimes, if it feels frustrating sometimes, open it. I mean, you've got Tara here as well, Bodhisattva Compassion. Open the eyes and, see, eyes and see that candle burning. And take, as long as you want, actually, when a person lights it. You can take, you can do it. Whatever, it, you might want to kneel, you might want to bow, you might want to do nothing, but take the moment internally for the heart to connect. Maybe a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, maybe as long as you need. Okay. To me that, that feels, and especially based on last year, it feels important. And actually the more I practice and the more I teach, the more important it feels to me in, in, in the context. But eventually this relationship between emptiness and love becomes completely obvious. It's completely obvious. Just the word emptiness begins, it's, it's related to love. And eventually that's obvious for everyone. And the heart is touched deeply in, in that way. It, has the, it knows the, the resonance, the sympathetic resonance, the, the togetherness of emptiness and love. Okay, a little bit more, I know it's long. Um, just practical stuff. So, we have a schedule, which I don't know if it's up already, but uh, it's up already. Okay, so... Um, there are some... Did all the bell ringers get, get signed up and everything? Yeah, good, okay. In the sittings, as you know, John and I are going to be here sometimes and other times not. So what happens is um, there's going to appear a clock in here <laughs> which can be turned around and face uh, you guys or face me if, or John if we're talking. And someone at the beginning of a sitting needs to kind of take the bell from up here and be responsible for timing that sitting and everyone else can just relax. You understand? So at the end of the sitting you just ring, ring the bell and people know. Is that clear enough? Yeah? So take turns doing that and if you just see that no one's taken the bell, just, just take the bell and, and do it. Make sense? The schedule, so we're starting with the schedule, and it doesn't have the teaching times in it. So every day, tonight, hopefully, I will put up um, the teaching schedule for the next few days. 
and that will fit around uh, or into the schedule. So you're kind of looking at two things there. After a week or so, we will probably, but I'll see how you guys feel, we'll probably open up the schedule and it will be much a, a more free, kind of sit as long as you want, come and go if you want to sit longer, walk longer or whatever, as people's, naturally their rhythm tends to deepen, but we'll see, we'll see what feels appropriate. Um, interviews, so uh, we ask that you come twice a week for interviews, once with John and once with myself. So you're, you're doubling up like that. And I will post the interview schedule tonight, uh, late, much later tonight. And we'll even, I'll put even uh, some spaces for tomorrow in case anyone feels like they need to check in. And then uh, just choose a couple of times a week, as I said, once with me, once with John, that feels like it suits you. And um, do that, okay? And if, obviously, if you're needing an extra meeting, let one of us know. Is that clear? Um, yeah, the interviews are, f are funny. Sometimes, sometimes I realize people regard interviews as just to, you just go to interviews when there's a problem and uh, you're struggling with something or there's a difficulty. Um, interviews are much more than that. So certainly difficulties, confusions, problems, questions, etc. But they're really also an opportunity to really refine these practices and really begin, so this is going great, okay, let's... That's wonderful. Let's take it a little bit further. So to regard regard it in that way as well, and bring everything uh, possible there to um, refine, to stretch, to deepen the practice. So it looks quite spacious now, um, but as you can see, we're, it's quite cozy in here, you know. And um, again, attitude is so important. So most of what I'm saying tonight is about attitude. Can we have an attitude together of really supporting each other? And really, again, it's not just about me. So when I'm as part of the candle things, when I come in here, I'm thinking about my practice. I'm also thinking about supporting, supporting the others. You know that my very part of my very purpose for being here is to support everyone else. And can I actually reconnect and reconnect and reconnect with that attitude? So it's quite intimate, but. It feels very different if we have that attitude of gen genuinely kind of connecting with a sense of supporting each other. The Gavin spoke about silencing, so just yeah. So um, the silence. Uh, most of you will be very familiar with silence as a sort of environment of practice. It's really, really important. So to really give yourselves to that. Did Gavin say anything about mobile phones? Yeah, so please, 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 please just turn them off or give, give them to the coordinators or, or something, unless uh, there's, there's something really, really important and, you know, there's an emergency or something, and then please to go off the grounds to use it. So sometimes we, you know, keep it on and use it as a clock, or it's like we text because texting is silent and something, and it's, t to me... All retreats are precious, and this chance of a four-week retreat, and so dedicated, and with such a sort of, uh, you know, specific depth being offered on emptiness, it's really precious, and it would be a shame to just keep the mobile phone on and have, have a sort of something pulling us out of the, the depth of possibility here. Uh, 
I don't know if, sorry, again, I'm not sure if this is repeat. Um, technically, group retreatants are not supposed to use the library. So, um, and I would actually say that for this retreat too, that uh, let go of reading and let go of the library um, for now. There'll be a chance at the end. It's just, as I said, we offer so much. You, you will probably feel like it's too much teachings being offered, uh, quite a lot to handle. And any more would, would just be too much. So you probably won't need to go in the library. Okay. Um, and in that, to just kind of surrender for now to the schedule and to being here and the simplicity of being here. And there's a lot in that quality of surrender. It's like, what might, what might come? What might open? because there's surrender there. A couple of last things. Um, it, if you feel like you're really here, like you've been here for a while and you've really sensed you're, you know, you're at Guy House, great. You might not, especially if you arrive today, you might not feel like you're fully arrived. So take a little time tonight and really land here and feel the body here and feel yourself at Guy House and you can wander around and just feel the silence. If there's any busyness, uh, sorry, if there's any business, or both, that you need to deal with tonight, um, make that call tonight. Um, there is a payphone uh, outside the Hermitage Way, and it's, it's signposted. And kind of just be ready to surrender fully. I, I also really think being on retreat is kind of an art, and part of arriving and kind of getting in the mood and the mode, is connecting with our aspirations. And so everyone here has aspirations. Everyone ha here has something that they, in a way, long for and desire for and wouldn't be here otherwise. And it's very important to be connected with that. It's very important to feel that in the heart and be clear, uh, uh, sense that movement. So again, if you want to, as part of the heart not just the body, but the heart arriving here. Connect, take a little time tonight to really connect with your sense of aspiration and what you desire for being here, for your, uh, for your practice, for your life. And as including what we've talked about in terms of what they call in the teaching bodhicitta, the sense of the, the teachings, not just the practice, not just being for me. And that's part of the aspirations too. We have aspirations, we have intentions, and they might feel very strong, and half an hour later, where have they gone? They're impermanent. That's the nature of them. It's the nature of the movement of intention. It was so strong, I felt such an upsurge of emotion and devotion, etc. And then the next thing, I'm just upset because, I don't know, someone jumped me in the lunch queue or something. And or it just slips, it hasn't gone anywhere particularly, it just slipped. The intentionality very easily goes to places that aren't really even that important to us. We just want to be comfortable. We just want things to be convenient. We want to feel some security. All of this is very, very normal, very, very human. Uh, we just want some sense pleasure. How many times a day does this happen? happens many, many times a day. We get moved. We, our intentionality slips out of its depths 
into things that are actually much more, well, not so important to us deeply, more superficial. It's normal, it's human. The thing is, that's okay, but really to be aware of it. So again, part of the art of being on retreat is really to be aware of where the intentionality is at different times, where it's slipped to. What is it that I'm wanting right now? What is it that I'm trying to get right now? What is it that I'm aligning myself with? And just to be aware of that, and then reconnect and, and nourish. Nourish what we really, really care about. And support what we really, really care about, those intentions. Okay, last, last piece. Gavin talked about the precepts, right? Good. So... <coughs> Just very briefly, you know, sometimes people hear about emptiness and they think, oh, it will lead to a kind of not, not caring in terms of how we are. Absolutely not. It has to do with love that I talked about before. It doesn't imply ethical sort of um, relativity. It doesn't imply that. Uh, it, applies, it implies really caring, actually, more and more. So these precepts that we keep together, that Gavin went through, again, they're part of supporting each other. They're part of loving respecting each other and communicating that through how we are with each other. Um, when we all collectively commit to these precepts with that um, that motivation to love, to respect, to support each other, something happens that I think is very, very beautiful and very, very precious. An atmosphere, an environment of trust begins to open out and pervade. So it becomes an, an, an environment here at Guy House where people really feel that they can trust. And people feel that they can open, they can let the guard down, and the heart doesn't have to be so protected. And that's, to me, in, in the world, that's very, very precious. To really have a sense that we're offering that to ourselves and to each other through the precepts. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.